morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani in Washington. Today is Friday, March the 18th. Here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. The U.S. Africa Command warns that the Islamist militant group Al-Shabaab in Somalia has grown bigger, stronger, and bolder over the last year. So over the last year plus, uh, Al-Shabaab has enjoyed uh, great freedom of movement and uh, throughout Somalia. And uh, now they can't go wherever they want, whenever they want. Uh, there are Somali National Army forces deployed widely across the country. There are Amisom uh, forces deployed. That is AFRICOM Commander General Stephen Townsend speaking to VOA. And Zambians observed the National Day of Mourning to honor the fourth president, Rupia Banda, who died last week. When he lost elections in 2011, he set a very good example of handing over power without difficulties. And South African medical students who were evacuated from Ukraine are now looking for ways to complete their studies. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. Commander of the U.S. Africa Command, General Stephen Townsend, warns that the militant group Al-Shabaab has grown bigger, stronger and bolder over the last year, saying that he suspects the group may now have the capability to strike Americans outside of the region, possibly even in the homeland. Also speaking on the war in Ukraine, General Townsend told VOA's Pentagon correspondent Carla Bob that AFRICOM was seeing some efforts to recruit Wagner units operating in Africa to fight in Ukraine. Everywhere we have seen Wagner go in uh, Africa, and I also faced off with Wagner in Syria, uh, we have seen signs of support uh, from, the Russian, from the Kremlin and the Russian Ministry of Defense. So, for example... The Russian Ministry of Defense flew Wagner and resupplied them, flew them into Mali and resupplied them. Uh, we saw them provide weapons, sophisticated weapons that only armies own, not private military companies might own, like sophisticated surface-to-air missile systems uh, and even jet fighters. We saw that in Libya. So um, we have seen less of this direct support. I think probably because of what's happening in Ukraine right now, I think the Russian military has its hands full. I will say that I'm not sure that the Russian military likes supporting Wagner. It seems like it's something they have to do more than something they want to do. And then just talking about the threats, you've talked about the threat al-Shabaab is to the homeland. Uh, Is al-Shabaab the greatest threat that the homeland faces on the continent currently? They are. They are the greatest threat. They are the number one uh, terrorist threat in Africa today. Al-Shabaab is an arm of al-Qaeda. They're the largest, the wealthiest, and the most lethal arm of al-Qaeda on the globe today. They not only aspire and have the capability to attack Americans in Africa, they aspire uh, to attack Americans outside of the region and even in the homeland. They may not have the capability today, I would say that's actually an open question if they have the capability to do that or not. Hmm. It's an open question? You don't know for for certain? No, I suspect that they do. That's not widely accepted in uh, Washington uh, or or in the intel community. But 
my instincts as a commander uh, are that they do. Are they free to roam in Somalia right now? Are, are they getting enough resistance from U.S. allies and U.S. forces? We haven't seen any airstrikes, um, so there's, there's not really a threat there for that. Talk a little bit about what al-Shabaab has gained over these past weeks um, concerning their freedom of movement, concerning their ability to, are they able to train freely? So over the last year plus, uh, al-Shabaab has enjoyed uh, great freedom of movement and uh, throughout Somalia. And uh, now they can't go wherever they want, whenever they want. Uh, there are Somali National Army forces deployed widely across the country. There are AMISOM uh, forces deployed. That's the African Union mission in Somalia. They're deployed widely across the country. Uh, and we are in and out, and we're always watching. So al-Shabaab can't go wherever they want, whenever they want. Uh, but they do enjoy a great deal of freedom of movement. And uh, it is my assessment that over the last year, they have grown bigger, stronger, and bolder. Isn't that really concerning? Shouldn't Americans and, and Africans be concerned about this? It's concerning to me, for sure. Um, I think that uh, others should share uh, my concern about this problem. Uh, you know, um, this freedom of action that they have, there's a lot of components to that. Uh, probably first and foremost is the political dysfunction that we've seen in Mogadishu. Uh, the current president is more than a year past his mandate, and uh, they're still trying to get to elections. There is some, there is a little bit of light on the horizon there. Their parliamentary elections have almost been completed, which is a necessary step for them to have presidential elections after that. Then uh, another factor is AMISOM. AMISOM, the uh, African Union mission there, is in transition. And uh, so there's been a lot of discussion about what they're going to transition to. I think that's, they're coming to agreement on the next phase in the life of Amazon. But uh, because of that transition, that has slowed their operations. And then I've already discussed uh, the frictions on our uh, counterterrorism pressure as well. Uh, so for all those reasons, uh, al-Shabaab has enjoyed uh, greater freedom of movement in the last year than they have in some time. That is AFRICOM Commander General Stephen Townsend speaking to viewers, Pentagon correspondent Carla Bob. Zambia observed the National Day of Mourning Thursday, honoring the fourth president, Rupia Bwezani Banda, who died last week after a two-year battle with colon cancer. The late Banda will be buried today, Friday, and Daniel Tonga has more from Lusaka. Zambia's president, Haka Indehichilema, declared national mourning for seven days until Friday, 18th March 2022, a day of burial for the late Rupia Banda. All activities of entertainment nature have been suspended and flags are running at half-mast across the country. Zambians have expressed shock at his demise. The late president was instrumental last August in mediating a smooth transition of power between former President Edgar Lungu and the incumbent Hakainde Hichilema, a feat seen as his last significant contribution to the country. Mr. Upia Banda, the former president, was a unifier and is an example of a person that was a Democrat. When he lost elections in 2011, he set a very good example of handing over power without difficulties. 
Some other presidents in uh, somewhere like other countries, they resist. After losing election, they don't hand over power, power easily. But him, immediately he, uh, it was announced that he has lost elections. He, he facilitated an early transition of power. He was not segregative. He didn't know any tribe. He didn't know any church. He did not really, him was so inclusive. And so as Zambians let us love one another, he has left that legacy. Let us be democratic. At home, the mood is solemn as dignitaries, foreign government representatives and different officials join in to mourn and sign in the book of condolences. Rupia Banda's legacy is still a matter of debate among many people. His tenure was marred by allegations of graft. In 2013, Zambia's parliament stripped Banda of immunity from prosecution, clearing the way for investigations to arrest him for corruption-related offenses. However, he was never convicted in a court of law and did not serve any jail time. While Banda's legacy is still being discussed, he will be remembered for having gracefully accepted defeat after losing the 2011 election to the late President Michael Sata. We noticed that um, even after he lost to Michael Sata, President Michael Sata, he accepted defeat graciously. There was even no need for any negotiations. That's, that's a great leader. Even as this has happened, it's a sense of uh, celebrating him much more than sadness. Banda had held senior diplomatic posts under first president Kenneth Kaunda before being eventually named as vice president in 2006 by then president Levi Mwanawasa. Banda served as acting president in mid-2008 when Mwanawasa suffered a stroke. Banda narrowly won October elections the same year on a ruling party ticket. Daniel Tonga, VOA News, Lusaka. Senegal's army has launched a new offensive aimed at dismantling a separatist rebel group in the country's southern region, causing more than 2,000 people to flee. The military operation comes less than two months after rebels killed four Senegalese soldiers and captured seven others. Anika Hamschlag reports from Dakar in Senegal. The Senegalese army began its offensive on March 13th with the aim of dismantling rebel group bases along the Gambian border. The rebels, known as the MFDC, or the Movement of Democratic Forces of Casamance, are suspected of trafficking cannabis in Rosewood, which is exported to China, in order to fund their separatist movement. As of Tuesday, the latest flare-up had left more than 2,000 people displaced. Alassane Senghor is the Secretary General of the Gambia Red Cross Society. He says the latest episode of fighting is one of the worst he's ever seen. People are abandoning their villages to cross into the Gambia from Casamance, and he says those living along the border are moving further into Gambia to seek safety. There is fear and panic because fighting happens most of the time. firing of gunshots and also helicopters flying overhead. The conflict is one of the oldest in Africa. It began in 1982 and has since claimed thousands of lives. The region in southern Senegal is distinct from the rest of the country. Geographically, it's separated from northern Senegal by the Gambia. Historically, it was a Portuguese colony, while the rest of Senegal was colonized by the French. The region also has different religious, ethnic, and linguistic traditions. 
Bambay leads several civil society organizations in Casamance. He says the region has been relatively stable and peaceful since 2013, but now the situation is dire. He adds people are fleeing with their children in tow, taking nearly nothing with them. Bai says he and his colleagues say the solution is an open dialogue because the results they achieved from 2013 to present happened because they agreed to lay down their arms and talk. That's the only thing that could bring peace to Casamas, he says, because they've suffered too much from this conflict. Senegalese President Macky Sall had made achieving peace in Casamas a priority for his second term in office. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal. And less than two weeks before Zimbabwe's by-elections, the police have arrested a popular opposition activist in Harare. Adi Gondo has more on the story from Blawayo. Godfrey Dauka Nembere has become known as an unofficial member of the Citizens Coalition for Change or CCC entourage during rallies countrywide was arrested Thursday. Later in the day, photos of Kanembere, who is known as Matsubaba Shando for his colorful yellow regalia, circulated on social media that appeared to show he had been badly beaten in custody. The Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights group, which plans to represent him, said on social media that Kanembere is facing a charge of disorderly conduct for wearing yellow clothes and telling people in Arari Central Business District to vote for Nelson Chamisa. Yellow is the color of the opposition. Kanembere was taken to the Arari Central Police Station. The Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights, ZLHRI, has indicated that its team of lawyers are trying to gain access to him. Gift Siziva is the deputy spokesperson for the CCC. He was traveling today to join part of our door-to-door campaign, and uh, he was uh, arrested by the police in Copacabana, and he was uh, beaten uh, by the um, police uh, without any charge, only for our lawyers to be uh, informed. A few hours ago, that the charge is disorderly conduct, and uh, the first charge that put was that he was wearing, was dressed inappropriately. So there have been complaints that the government, led by the Zanov PF party, is using heavy-handed tactics to suppress opposition campaigning ahead of the March 26 by-election. Several opposition rallies have been broken up on allegations they violated pandemic restrictions and incidences of violence against CCC candidates and supporters have been reported. Siziba says the violence is escalating. Because citizens across the land and breadth of this country are mobilizing for change. People are tired and exhausted of ZANPF. People are exhausted of nihilism. People are exhausted of corruption. People are exhausted of cryptocracy. People are exhausted of fascism. That happens 24 hours after our candidate in Umzingwane, Comrade Tuli, was attacked by ZANPF uh, thugs who surrounded the house and tried to use fear and uh, intimidation to try and cower into submission and uh, withdrawing a candidature for the next plebiscite. So our people are very clear. We remain committed and we forge ahead. We know that there is no struggle without bruises and struggle without pain. We forge ahead until a democratic breakthrough. I thank you. The Zimbabwe Republic Police on its Twitter handle says it is investigating allegations that Karembera was assaulted by police officers. The police say that he's alleged to have used abusive language to officers who were trying to stop him from engaging in unsanctioned political activities in the central business district. Reporting for VOA, this is Adigondo in Blawayo, Zimbabwe. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani.
South African medical students who were evacuated from Ukraine are looking for ways to complete their studies. South African universities are discussing options for the students, some of whom are still shaken by the attacks they witnessed and are fearful for teachers and classmates left behind. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa. Concerned students have launched a Save Our Studies campaign with the goal of helping about 50 repatriated medical students find spots at South African universities. 25-year-old Mandisa Malindisa, a fourth-year medical student who is studying in Kharkiv National Medical University, is one of those who wants to get placed. Her studies were interrupted when Russian forces entered Ukraine the last week in February. She says that after a few days of hearing bombs in Kharkiv, a city in eastern Ukraine, she and five friends decided to flee by train to the Hungarian border. The scene at the train station, she says, was pure chaos. Everybody's losing their mind. Everybody's trying to get on it. People have knives out. People are screaming. People are fighting. People are biting each other. You know, just trying to get onto this train. We were just watching because we were like, no, this is not our train. This train is going to Kiev. This is not for us. Eventually, a train that would take them to Lviv did arrive, but much to their horror, it stopped in Kiev, which they'd been hoping to avoid because it's a high-risk area. They waited there for six hours. That's when we saw what Kiev actually looks like. Everything is just burning, there's smoke. Like Everyone's just looking outside the window in just terror. After 24 hours, they reached Lviv and Malindisa made her way into Hungary, where she managed to book a flight home. Sixth-year medical student Lupomlon Tengu is also hoping to be able to continue his studies in South Africa. He was studying at Venezia National Medical University in Ukraine. Safely home now in South Africa, he says he often thinks about those he left behind. Yeah, I am really worried about my friends and my teacher, you know. Ukraine has been my home for the past six years. So it's so sad, everything that is going on there right now. It feels like it's my own home that is being destroyed like that. The chairperson of the South African Committee of Medical Deans, Professor Lionel Green-Thompson, confirmed that schools are discussing ways to help the repatriated students. Issues relating to students in Ukraine have been brought to the attention of the South African Committee of Medical Deans. We have initiated conversations around this issue. The responses are complex and we continue to discuss these things. But finding places may be problematic. Many other South African students who returned from abroad due to the COVID-19 pandemic have also been seeking placement. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. Ugandan social media entrepreneur Samuel Abaho, commonly known as Sami Manini on social media, has become a household name in the country. And he's also benefiting from it. Manini says he has earned advertising contracts from various local companies because of his new trade. His videos have been liked by many, including American celebrities. Manini advises the youth to take advantage of social media to make an income. Reporter Mugume Davis Rukakarinji has more from Kampala. In a video that went viral, Sami Manini, real names Abaho Samuel, jokingly refers to zebras in Lake Mburu of Western Uganda as lions. He runs as if trying to escape from the big cats. 
in Lake Kimbul National Park, most of the animals that you are going to see are zebras uh, and other small antelopes, what, what. So this, this driver was insisting that they are lions, yet in actual sense we are seeing only zebras. So I said, let me intimidate him that I've seen the lions, yet in actual sense I've not seen the lions, not knowing that the video is funny and people liked it. Mm. Yes. For VOA News, I am Mugume. Davis Rwakarinji in Kampala, Uganda. And now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports. And with that, we go to Abuja with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sport with match day five fixtures of the CAF Champions League scheduled to be played this Friday and Saturday across various venues on the continent. Reigning title holders Al Hakli face a must-win Group A match away to Sudan's Al Marik on Friday evening, which will go a long way in determining their continued participation in the tournament. The other Group A match takes place on Saturday afternoon in Omdurman, where Hilal hosts Sundowns. The Brazil Brazilians need only to avoid defeat to guarantee a quarterfinal berth, though that could already be handed to them on Friday with an Al-Hakli win or draw in Cairo. Friday will also be a key day in Group B with the early evening seeing South Africa's Amazulu take on Raja Casablanca in Durban, while the late kickoff has ES Sativ tackling Horia AC in Algeria. Saturday sees Osporos Dutinis and CR Bulls Dart looking to lock out the top two places in Group C with their matches away to Juanen Galaxy and at home to Etoile du Sahel respectively. For both teams, a draw could be well enough for them to qualify, while Group D's interest now lies in seeing who will finish top between Petro de Luanda and Wada Casablanca, both of whom are already guaranteed a place in the quarterfinals. Petro, who are unbeaten and have taken 10 points from a possible 12 will be at home to Zamalek on Saturday afternoon, while Widert, one point behind, will play at the same venue, Estadio 11 de Novembro in Luanda, against Sagrada Esparanca in a late kick-off. And now to women's football. The Ugandan women on the 17th side flies out for the return leg against Ethiopia today, with much to play for. Uganda must win their return leg after drawing 2-2 in the first leg in Kitende. Hadija Nadongo is the assistant captain of the Ugandan women under-17 team. The players are in good shape. Hopefully going to win Ethiopia. Um, the coaches have emphasized more on shooting, placing the ball into the net because, because we need goals. Elsewhere, Nigeria national women football team, the Super Falcons, will play reigning Olympic champions Canada in two international friendlies. Canada will host the two games in British Columbia on the 8th and 11th of April. In athletics, the 2022 edition of the Lewa Marathon, which is set to be held on the 25th of June, will be returning as physical event for the first time in two years, having been held virtually last year due to COVID-19 pandemic. The 23-year-old has also been a vehicle for the advancement of education, healthcare, and conservation efforts in Kenya, raising above $8.6 million for these courses since the year 2000. Chief Executive Officer of the Conservancy, Mike Watson, expects the event to be action-packed and to intensify its efforts towards the fight against climate change. While still providing an exciting and exhilarating marathon experience, the Lewa Safari Marathon of 2022 aims to be the most environmentally friendly event. 
The president of the International Swimming Federation, Captain Hussein Al-Musalam, is visiting Uganda. Dr. Musalam is in the East African country for a two-day working visit, during which he will meet with swimmers and thereafter discuss ways of improving on Uganda's swimming standards. Uh, the main purpose for my visit here in, uh, to Uganda is to work to develop swimming and to teach maximum number of uh, children uh, to learn how to swim. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at boanews.com. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you a great weekend ahead, Africa.